Hi, I'm Robert Jeffress, and I'm glad to serve as your Bible teacher every day on this great radio station on today's edition of Pathway to Victory. For on that cross, meant for Barabbas, someone innocent would die in his place, the Lord Jesus Christ, just as he died for you and for me. God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Welcome to Pathway to Victory with author and pastor, Dr. Robert Jeffress. The story of Jesus' journey to the cross is one of the most gripping accounts of all time. It's the story of a perfect, sinless man who died at the hands of those who he came to save. Today on Pathway to Victory, Dr. Robert Jeffress walks us through the trials of Jesus leading up to his crucifixion, and we'll discover what took place during those final hours. Now, here's our Bible teacher to introduce today's message. Dr. Jeffress? Thanks, David, and welcome again to Pathway to Victory. Today is Good Friday. In a moment, I want to tell you a story that gives special meaning to this weekend. Get ready to follow along in Luke chapters 22 and 23. But first, this is one of the very last times you'll be invited to respond to an exclusive offer from Pathway to Victory. In light of the spiritual holiday ahead this weekend, I've set aside two of my favorite Easter messages on both CD and DVD. And when you give a generous gift to support the ministry of Pathway to Victory, I'll make sure you receive them at your home. Plus, I'm going to include an exclusive olive wood cross that was handcrafted in Israel. This offer has been extremely popular this week, and while supplies last, please get in touch to request this package of special gifts from Pathway to Victory. The cross elevates Christianity above any other religion in the world. The cross of Jesus Christ has no parallel, no peer, no other power compares with our resurrected Savior. And it's this power of the cross that we celebrate together at Easter. Would you be among those who gets in touch with us today with your special Easter gift to Pathway to Victory? In doing so, you'll equip us to share the power of the cross to a world desperately in need. Today and again on Monday's program, we'll be looking at one of the most dramatic standoffs in the entire Bible. Pilate found himself in an impossible predicament. Standing before a hostile crowd, would he satisfy the people? or would he remain true to his conscience? I've titled today's message, Jesus or Barabbas. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Luke chapter 22. Luke twenty-two fifty-four says, After arresting Jesus, they carried him and brought him to the house of the high priest. And so the high priest's home here consisted of both the living quarters for Caiaphas, the current high priest, and his father-in-law, Annas. And so when they brought Jesus to the home of the high priest, Luke doesn't record this, but John 18 does. They first bring him to the father-in-law, Annas, the high priest emeritus, if you will. They thought they could get a quick conviction that Annas would come up with a way in order to charge Jesus. It didn't work out the way they thought it would. Jesus didn't give them the testimony they wanted. So even though that was the first trial, Jesus before Annas, it was inconsequential. And that moves to the second trial of Jesus, Jesus before Caiaphas, the current high priest. 
Now, we don't have a record in Luke of what happened at that trial, but Mark tells us in Mark 14. So hold your place here and turn to Mark 14, beginning with verse, let's say, 57. And some stood up, and they began to give false testimony against Jesus, saying, we heard him say, I will destroy this temple made with hands, and in three days I will build another made without hands. And not even in this respect was their testimony consistent. These false witnesses were tripping over one another in contradictions. And the high priest stood up and came forward and questioned Jesus, saying, Do you make no answer? What is it that these men are testifying against you? But Jesus kept silent and made no answer. Again, the high priest was questioning him and saying to him, Are you the Christ? the son of the blessed one. And Jesus said, I am. That's all Caiaphas needed to hear. And tearing his clothes, the high priest said, what further need do we have of witnesses? You have heard the blasphemy. How does it seem to you? And they all condemned him to be deserving of death. Now turn back over to Luke 22, where it picks up in verse 63. And the men who were holding Jesus in custody were mocking him and beating him. And then they engaged in a sadistic version of blind man's bluff. They put a blindfold around him and started to strike him and say, prophesy, who is it that has hit you? And they were saying many other things against him, blaspheming. They then took him from the house of Caiaphas for the third religious trial, and that is Jesus before the Sanhedrin. Look at verse 66. And when it was day, the council of elders of the people assembled, both chief priests and scribes, and they led him away to the council chamber. He meets before the Sanhedrin, and they ask him the question, are you the Christos, the Christ? That's the Greek equivalent of Messiah. Are you the Messiah? Verse 67. And he said to them, If I tell you, you will not believe. And if I ask a question, you will not answer. Why should I even bother to answer you? You don't want the truth. But then he relented and he went ahead and answered. Verse 69. But from now on, the Son of Man will be seated at the right hand of the power of God. Now, that was blasphemy. That a mere man says, I will be seated at the right hand of a transcendent God. That's all they needed to hear. And they said, what further need do we have of testimony? For we have heard it ourselves from his own mouth. The Jews convicted him of blasphemy. But remember, the Romans, who had the power to carry out a capital sentence, they couldn't care less about blasphemy. No, they didn't care about that. And so these Jewish leaders, knowing that, had to trump up some charges that would get Rome's attention. And that's what you see happening when they bring Jesus to Pilate. The civil trials begin in Luke 23. Having convicted him of blasphemy, they now bring him before Pilate. Look at verse 1. Then the whole body of them arose and brought Jesus before Pilate. Notice the charge they trumped up against Jesus. They began to accuse Jesus, saying, we found this man misleading our nation and doing what? 
forbidding to pay taxes to Caesar. Now, was that true? The opposite was true. They had tried to trick Jesus, saying, is it rightful to pay taxes to Caesar? Jesus holds up the coin and says, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God. So that was an outright lie. Then they say, not only that, he's saying that he himself is a king. Look at verse three. So Pilate asked Jesus, saying, are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him and said, it is as you say And Pilate said to the chief priests and the multitudes, I find no fault. I find no guilt in this man. There's no threat here. Let him go. Let's be done with this. Verse five, but they kept on insisting, saying he stirs up the people, teaching all over Judea, starting from Galilee, even as far as this place. But when Pilate heard it, he asked whether the man was a Galilean. And when he learned that he belonged to Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod, who himself was also in Jerusalem at this time. And so they take Jesus before Herod Antipas. Look in verses 11 and 12. And Herod with his soldiers, after treating him with contempt and mocking him, dressed him in a gorgeous robe and sent him back to Pilate. This was a joke to Herod. He said, let's have a little fun with Jesus. We'll put a robe around him, put a scepter in his hand, put a crown on his head and send him back to my rival Pilate and say, thanks, but no thanks. You handle this. He sends him back to Pilate and that begins the final trial of Jesus. Look at verse 13. And Pilate summoned the chief priest and the rulers and the people and said to them, You brought this man to me as one who incites the people to rebellion. And behold, having examined him before you, I have found no guilt in this man regarding the charges which you make against him. No, nor has Herod, for he sent him back to us. And behold, nothing deserving death has been done by him. I therefore will punish him and release him. We'll give him a flogging and that'll be the end of it. Not according to the people, they would have none of that. Look at verse 17. Now, Pilate was obliged to release to them at least one prisoner at the feast. Every year at Passover, the Romans showed their respect for the Jewish people by releasing one of their prisoners. Pilate thought, surely this could take care of the Jesus matter. He said, remember the custom? I get to release one prisoner. Surely you want me to release Jesus, don't you? Look at verse 18. But they cried out all together, saying, Away with this man and release for us Barabbas. He was one who had been thrown into prison for a certain insurrection made in the city and for murder. Here is a man who is actually guilty of trying to topple the Roman Empire. But Pilate, wanting to release Jesus, addressed them again. But they kept on calling out, saying, Crucify, crucify him. And he said to them the third time, why, what evil has this man done? I found in him no guilt demanding death. I will therefore punish him and release him. Pilate was beginning to sense something's wrong here. I mean, after all, if Jesus was really guilty of leading an insurrection against Rome, shouldn't the Jewish people be coronating him instead of wanting to crucify him? 
That's what they wanted, a political leader who would lead a rebellion. Why are they so angry against Jesus? They were insistent, and finally Pilate had had enough, verse 24, and Pilate pronounced the sentence that their demand should be granted, and he released the man that they were asking for who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder, but he delivered Jesus to their will. Barabbas was the one intended to die that day, the one who was truly guilty, but they released him and sentenced Jesus to the cross. And that leads to the crucifixion of Jesus. Beginning in verse 33, we find the description of the crucifixion of Jesus. Just read along with me, beginning with verse 33. And when they came to the place called the skull, there they crucified him. And the criminals, one on the right and the other on the left, but Jesus was saying, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they cast lots, dividing up his garments among themselves. And the people stood by looking on. And even the rulers were sneering at him, saying, he saved others. Let him save himself, if this is the Christ of God, his chosen one. And the soldiers also mocked him, coming up to him, offering him sour wine and saying, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. Now there was also an inscription above him, this is the king of the Jews. And one of the criminals who was hanged there was hurling abuse at him saying, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other answered, rebuking him and said, do you not even fear God? since you are under the same sentence of condemnation, and we indeed justly, for we are receiving what we deserve for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he was saying, Jesus, remember me when you come in your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, truly I say to you, today you shall be with me in paradise. And it was now about the sixth hour, and darkness fell over the whole land, until the ninth hour, the sun being obscured and the veil of the temple was torn in two. And Jesus crying out with a loud voice said, Father, into thy hands, I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. We've read these words, many of us for years. Somehow we may have become numb to them, not realizing what really happened at the crucifixion. Someone has written a medical description of what happened to Jesus physically during his scourging and during his crucifixion. Preparations for the scourging are carried out. The prisoner is stripped of his clothing and his hands tied to a post above his head. The Roman legionnaire steps forward with his whip in his hand. This is a short consisting of several heavy leather thongs with two small balls of lead attached to the ends of each. The heavy whip is brought down with full force again and again across Jesus' shoulders, back, and legs. At first, the heavy thongs cut through the skin only. Then, as the blows continue, they cut deeper into the tissues producing first an oozing of blood from the capillaries and the veins of the skin. 
and finally spurting arterial bleeding from vessels in the underlying muscles. The small balls of lead first produce large, deep bruises, which are broken open by subsequent blows. Finally, the skin of the back is hanging in long ribbons, and the entire area is an unrecognizable mass of torn, bleeding tissue. When it is determined by the centurion in charge that the prisoner is near death, the beating is stopped. The heavy beam of the cross is then tied across his shoulders, and the procession of the condemned Christ, two thieves in the execution detail, begins its slow journey. The weight of the heavy wooden beam together with the shock produced by copious blood loss is too much. Jesus stumbles and falls. The rough wood of the beam gouges into the lacerated skin and muscles of his shoulders. He tries to rise, tries to rise but human muscles have been pushed beyond their endurance. At Golgotha, the beam is placed on the ground and Jesus is quickly thrown backward with his shoulders against the wood. The legionnaire feels for the depression in the front of his wrist. He then drives a heavy, square, wrought iron nail through the wrist and deep into the wood. Quickly, he moves to the other side and repeats the action, being careful not to pull the arms too tightly, but to allow some movement. The beam is then lifted in place at the top of the posts, and the title reads, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews, is nailed in place. Hours of this limitless pain, cycles of twisting, joint cramps, intermittent partial asphyxiation, searing pain as tissue is torn from his lacerated back as he moves up and down across the rough timber. He can feel the chill of death creeping through his tissues. With one last surge of strength, he once again presses his torn feet against the nail, straightens his legs, takes a deeper breath, and utters his seventh and last cry. Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. That's the death. Jesus died. And as horrendous, as excruciating as that physical pain was, it was nothing compared to the spiritual pain he experienced of bearing the sins of the world, of bearing your sins and my sins. As I said earlier, the one man who could appreciate the idea of Jesus dying in his place more than any other person in history was a prisoner named Barabbas. In his book, The Darkness and the Dawn, Chuck Swindoll explains what that morning must have been like for Barabbas, the insurrectionist who had been sentenced to die on a cross. Most likely, Barabbas was being held in Antonio's fortress, where many of us have been, about a half a mile away from the praetorium where Pilate and Jesus were. Because of the distance, it was impossible for Barabbas to hear the conversation between Pilate and Jesus, but Barabbas could very well hear the yelling of the crowd. Barabbas could not hear Pilate ask the question, 
to the crowd, whom should I release today, Jesus or Barabbas? But what Barabbas did here was the cry of the crowd, Barabbas, Barabbas, Barabbas. As Barabbas sat in that cold cell and heard his name being shouted, hope began to build up in his heart. Maybe my fellow Jews are going to join me in the insurrection. Maybe they're forming a mob. Maybe they're going to come and release me. But Barabbas couldn't hear the next question Pilate asked. He asked the crowd, then what shall I do with Jesus? But Barabbas could hear the reply of the crowd. Crucify him! Crucify him! Crucify him! Now think about it. Barabbas is alone in that cell a half mile away. And all he can hear the crowd shouting is, Barabbas, 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 crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. Barabbas soon realized this wasn't a rescue party. This was a lynching mob. His heart began to beat faster as he heard the steps of those Roman soldiers against the stone pavement coming closer and closer and closer until that burly Roman centurion confronted Barabbas, threw open the prison door and said, Barabbas, get your stuff together. Barabbas gulped, but then he heard words he never expected to hear. Get out of here. You're free today. For on that cross, meant for Barabbas, someone else, someone innocent would die in his place, the Lord Jesus Christ, just as he died for you and for me. The Bible says God made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. How can we ever thank God enough for what he has done for us? As we close this service today, I thought, how, how do we close the service like this? I think the only way to rightfully close the service like this is to express our gratitude, our thankfulness for what Jesus did for us on that horrible, excruciating, wondrous cross out of which comes our salvation. And that's the perfect response to the sacrifice Jesus paid on our behalf to give him thanks. And it's exciting to realize that listeners around the world right now are expressing their thanks to Jesus, perhaps for the first time. I know this is true because every day at Pathway to Victory, we hear from grateful listeners who tell us their stories. People like Janice from Delaware who wrote, Pastor Jeffress, my sister passed away in December at the age of 51. She was my very best friend. She had a tough life, but she loved Jesus, and she was eager to be with Him in heaven. When she died, I was mad, very mad, so mad, in fact, that I walked away from God. And then I discovered Pathway to Victory. I've been guided back to knowing and loving God again. It has changed my heart for the Lord. 
Janice, your comments encourage me. And they are an inspiration to anyone who's financially supported Pathway to Victory. It's your generous giving, friends, that makes these sacred moments of life change possible. Now, as we conclude this special week together, this is the perfect time to reinforce the value of your partnership with Pathway to Victory. Remember that right now, when you give a generous Easter gift to Pathway to Victory, you're entitled to receive a package of thank you gifts. First, I want to send you two of my favorite Easter messages on CD and DVD. And second, I want you to have an exclusive olive wood cross that was handcrafted in Israel. May this cross become a visible symbol in your home, declaring that you stake your entire future on the power of the cross. May God bless you this Easter Sunday. David. Thanks, Dr. Jeffress. When you reach out today and give a generous gift to support the ministry of Pathway to Victory, you're invited to request the Power of the Cross teaching set, featuring two of the very best Easter messages from Dr. Robert Jeffress. You'll get that on DVD and MP3 format audio disc. Plus, we'll also send you a small olive wood cross from the Holy Land to remind you of the transforming power of the cross. Just call 866-999-2965. That's 866-999-2965. Or visit our website, ptv.org. Thank you for helping us proclaim the power of the cross to multitudes across our nation and world this Easter season. Now, if you'd prefer to send a donation by mail, write to P.O. Box 223-609, Dallas, Texas, 75222. That's P.O. Box 223-609, Dallas, Texas, 75222. I'm David J. Mullins, hoping you'll make plans to celebrate the risen Savior at your local church this weekend. And then join us again Monday for one final Easter message from Dr. Jeffress here on Pathway to Victory. Pathway to Victory with Dr. Robert Jeffress comes from the pulpit of the First Baptist Church of Dallas, Texas.